Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. And I know that now you're on, you know, all the platforms, you work with Springboard, I assume you're with Synthesis and and what's that been like? Like the direct licensing, are you still direct licensing to arcades? Because yeah. I know a lot of content providers, that's just a lot of work. Yeah. How do you deal with that? And at what point do you just say, all right, we got to kind of solidify the content mm-hmm. pipeline somehow? We've, we've kind of done that largely by, from the sort of transition over the past year or two using those decentralized distribution platforms like Springboard. And when I found, you know, when I, I kind of hit the problems I had with scalability, on that part of our business, I actively looked for those companies. One of them was Springboard VR. There was another one, an arcade that we were working with called VR Junkies. They were looking at doing their own proprietary system for tracking. So I was more than happy to work with them and consult with them and say what's important from a developer's point of view, from the content creator's point of view. Because for us to find a scalable model, I knew that I needed a company like that, that I could just upload once and get paid once. So I was more than happy to share that, you know, what we felt was most important moving forward. So we did that with Springboard. We did it with VR Junkies, who we licensed to, and, and, and their backend's called Private Label, who they who runs their systems, but also has some turnkey as well. But at the same point, you know, like you said, we've ported to a lot of platforms. And that's something, again, that we kind of learned along the way. It's, again, being observant, seeing what, what the feedback is. We created Affected the Manor. That was the first title from the trilogy. And we expected them to go on and create the second title from it. But we just couldn't put the manor to bed. You know, it, it kind of wouldn't go away in that respect. We understood that it, it was a very, very powerful app introducing people to virtual reality. We have very high quality environment, very simple controls. And it's scary, but not so scary. It's scary enough you play it and then go, oh, I need to get my friend in this. I need to show my mom this, you know. So we understood that that introductory sort of, value has a lot of value to the platforms like oculus like google daydream at the time uh pico xiaomi playstation vr now they've all still got that same problem of having to introduce people to vr in a good way yeah so is that kind of how you see affected the manner as kind of the, what i call the on-ramp mm-hmm. for people is to so. get them into it and yeah very it. very yeah. much so you know and this to keep sort of jumping around, I say this to arcades a lot. We, you know, we reach out to them constantly. You know, we have people, biz dev and licensing managers in, in Fallen Planet that on a daily basis, we're communicating with arcades all the time. And the first thing we say is, look, our success depends on your success. You know, we've been around for a while. So if we can share information that's going to help you. We'd love to tell you it, you know. And the first thing we say is, look, don't hook a Vive up to Steam let someone have access to 100 VR apps and just leave them alone for an hour to <laughs> wade through it. Because if you do that, your business will close. Like, we've seen yeah. it. We've seen it. And, you know, the whole is VR dying. Is it thriving? Control V, you know, they're franchising all the time. VR junkies as well. I see chains of arcades. Emotion VR, UK chain, who we, we communicate with. And they've been in the press lately with raw data and, you know, Servios, which I, which I, I talk to. So if you do that, then you'll close. If you do well, you can thrive and and flourish. So there's some key points to understand about curating those experiences. You know, what are you going to expose your clients to? Have you tried these experiences? 
you know yeah. we spoke very briefly before we went on air about how i always chat to arcades about talking about a, like a restaurant you know i say look imagine you've got a restaurant here because it's important to imagine that vr is a product it's not the golden goose it won't just lay an egg you've still got to deliver it you've got to deliver it well and you can what we'd spoke about i say look first of all the product if you just get some vr and throw it in the corner so if someone comes into your restaurant here's an amazing piece of meat chuck it in the corner go eat that they're, they're not going to enjoy it the user journey's been bad the other you know kind of analogy is the restaurant owner i'm sure he's tried all of the meals in his restaurant you know if he sees something he goes oh that looks fantastic he loves what the chef's doing oh let me try a bite of this great i'm going to recommend this to my you know the customers that when they come in new on the menu i'm going to tell our regulars you know if an arcade operator just got 100 games in, in the library, it's impossible for them to try them all. I know they haven't tried them all. Otherwise, they wouldn't put 100, 100 games up there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like the Netflix thing, which we've all gone through. Where we sit there and we spend 20 minutes going through the yeah. menu, and we don't know what to choose because there's so much stuff to choose from. Yeah. And there's a lot of science yeah. and research and product marketing around if you give people three choices or five choices, they'll make a yeah. choice. And if you give them 30, they don't buy anything. And so... That curation of content, I think, is really, really important. Mm -hmm. And I love the idea of the onboarding experience for arcades. And I've talked to a lot of arcade owners where I recommend they do something like Richie's Plank or, or The Walk yeah. or one of those Plank experiences <clears throat> yeah. and offer that in a dedicated yeah. space that's themed, make it affordable, make it five bucks or something, and people can go in and do it and give them a mixed reality shareable experience. And that's that onboarding. Yeah. And I think that, you know, and I hadn't thought about your product in that yeah. same vein mm -hmm where it's kind of pick one. I love what the Park Playground does in Belgium, where they sell you a 60-minute experience. Yeah. And the first 10 minutes of that is you get to pick one of three stations that are dedicated, yeah. and you do Fruit Ninja, or you do the Plank, or you do something else. And, and it's a really simple yeah. onboarding curated experience. And and I love that. Well, idea. again, that's what we talk to arcade owners about. Richie's Plank experience, fantastic. You know, great studio, great product. And, you know, you can see how popular and powerful that experience can be if delivered right. And yeah. this sort of feeds into what kind of per minute rates and how we'll monetize in VR experiences. Because on that kind of spectrum within the per minute tracking, we're towards the top end. You know, we describe it as premium, premium content, you know, quality content. I feel yeah. it is anyway, just because I see a lot of apps and I go, well, ours is, you know, it is kind of streets ahead about that, uh, streets ahead of that. But from the point of view of when I communicate that to an arcade owner, I say, look, our app is very, very good at introducing people to VR, you know. But if you're renting it out for an hour, they only have to do ours for 10, 15 minutes. They've done the whole experience great. They're going to get to try something else within that. So they're seeing a variety of good content. And also our qualities, you know, our, our price may be premium, but we're only 10, 15 minutes. We're not a turret defense. We're not a high score. People aren't going to come and beat the score time after time. And I say, we're totally fine about that. You know, affected the manner. We're on mobile. We're on PC. We're in LBVR. And we're using it to create a model there. But also on a wider point of view, we're using it to build up relationships with those arcade owners, with the platforms. We'll be, we're able to see what type of content is popular in there. So I say, look, you're never actually going to end up paying us that much per month, right. you know. But I feel that we offer yeah. a lot of value to your arcade where we can justify it. And I think it's really important to understand like the product for your market. And you guys have gone really broad in some ways, but I always talk about going narrow. 
And so there's lots of ways to go narrow, right? I've talked to, there's a company I'm working with it's, um, that's just launching here in Bowl Expo. And, and we talked about, you could go narrow geographically. They're headquartered in Miami. I'm just focused on Florida. Yeah. There's plenty of FECs in yeah. Florida, right? In your case, you've gone really broad on platforms, mm-hmm. but you've gone really narrow on why you exist, yeah. which is you're an onboarding exactly. experience for VR. And that's super narrow. You're not talking about replayability, which is a thing that I talk a lot yeah. about in games that aren't really simple onboarding, right? And so I really love how you've gone narrow in a really unique way. Well, you know, it comes down to context for us. And this is what we talk about a lot. And having spent so much time with the manor, different iterations of it, we really understand about where it's going to be experienced once it's released. And this really feeds into the development that we do. From a platform point of view, now, as we've learned, if we're working with, say, PSVR, which has got certain types of restrictions of mainly seated hand controls, et cetera, compared to quest you know sixed off freedom so we understand that context so that'll feed into the development side of it from the location-based vr side it's very very similar you know arcades they do want replayability etc but in the theme park they want throughput so we were doing licensing to arcades in 2016 we had a different build on our steam site you know our commercial version our arcade version, so the commercial, so the consumer version, our commercial version for arcades, it was slightly longer. You know, we had three routes in it because we wanted to offer replayability at the time. We learned that we don't really get that much replayability. So let's condense those three routes down to two and that'll make it longer for us. And we're on a per minute remuneration. So it's better for us to be a, a bit longer. Whereas if we're in a theme park yeah. where they wanted throughput, the manner we built modular. So we break it down, take out a couple of corridors, chuck away a few rooms, make the kind of punchiest experience we can, which was a bit more cheap, you know, jump scary, but that's what people wanted in that environment. And we'd make a three-minute version or a four-minute version for them. And we could do that to brief. And I love this. And this is a thing that I'm writing about now, which is not enough people. In fact, you might be the only person that I've talked to that seems to understand this concept or at least talks about it, which is the context of the consumer in the location that yeah. they're in. If you go to a theme park, you're expecting jump scares and thrills and and short duration. Yeah. If you are in a movie theater, you're expecting to be told a story, yeah. right? And so the context and the mindset of the customer and where they're going, it has to make yeah. sense. And if it doesn't make sense to them, then there's something incongruent. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, they don't know what yeah. it is, but they just know it doesn't work Definitely. for them. And I love the fact that you understand You know, that. to take that kind of a step further, we, we've done... Um, an installation with a French company called CL Corporation, and it's kind of a turnkey product. It's an elevator that you can walk in, and four people can stand in it. You'd wear a Gear VR headset on the way in, so there's a pass-through camera. The elevator door closes, and then it cuts to our VR experience, and we take the user on a journey. And we're licensing that in Vegas, and it was at CES, and I went and checked it out. And it's a really good experience. It's kind of 4D. There's, you know, wind, water, blowing, et cetera. But there was also a really cool whitewater rapid ride as well. Totally moved, like really good. You know, I like, in LBVR, I like hardware with software associated to it. And some of our partners do that. I think it's a much better offering for the user. And I was really impressed with this. And I tried it and the content was really good. But I noticed from the figures that we were doing a lot better the our elevator than what the other experiences in the arcade were and for me and I, I could be wrong but it's how i perceive it the whitewater rapid thing it's right in the middle of the shop you know it's by the window to the link this like, is over at the link yeah, right yeah the exactly link yeah whereas 
our scary hotel elevator, when people are choosing what do they want to do, on the elevator one, you get to go inside it. You know, the doors close. You can still see through the railings, etc. But the user is going to be a lot less self-aware of how do I look like? You know, am I being scared in front of a thousand people walking past me in Vegas? Yeah. So again, when creating those sort of turnkey products, thinking about if the user is going to be self-conscious and go, they might, from all the will in the world, they might go, I really want to try that VR experience, but I don't want to look stupid doing it, you know? So if you can bring these ideas into it. Yeah, and that was an issue all the way back in the 90s with virtuality, where people were just self-conscious about how they look in VR. And it's still an issue today. And it was really interesting. There's a guy named, um, I think it was Mark Weiss, who operates a FEC. I want to say it's in Florida, but I'm not sure. And he put in a chaos jump, one of those kind of inspired by hollow gate four-player trust VR systems. And what he did is he put a curtain around it that was when you start the game, the curtain closes. Exactly and encloses the players. And it was really dramatic. Yeah. And it reminded me of a ride that I used to do, Caterpillar ride when I was mm-hmm. a kid at the amusement parks where the thing would go over and it would come back and it would cover yeah, you yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. And what happened is he said he had people that played it who would not have ordinarily played yeah. it because they were concerned about how they yeah. looked. And it's still an issue today. I think that's yeah. a bit of friction that will always be there within VR for some people. You know, we can get rid of wires, we can increase form factor, you can make it easier to put it on and play but there's still people that might feel, I don't want to look stupid. You know, I'd love to try it. So if you can factor that in. I think, you know, you can look at the karaoke business and there's two ways to do it. There's karaoke bars where there's a stage and there's an audience and that appeals to extroverts. But a lot of people want to sing and they're not extroverts. So you get private rooms and you can go into your friends and do it. And I think that, we have to figure out how to do both of that because there's this talk about social experiences, right? And and everybody wants a social experience, but there are different kinds of social experiences. And how do you deliver that and do it in a way that's respectful mm-hmm. to the introverts out there that actually care about those things and think about I, it? I couldn't yeah. agree more. And on that topic, karaoke is something I've sworn down I will never, ever, ever do because I'm a, a bad singer. Not funny bad, just bad, bad. And then I was in Seoul a few weeks ago and we were in a private karaoke room and lo and behold, you know, I did a six-minute version of Bohemian Rhapsody. So that's not necessarily a good thing, but it just shows that if you apply, you know, thought of context to it, if you're able to facilitate that enjoyment for the user, then ultimately they'll, they're more likely to pay for it. Yeah. So, you know, you talked about arcade challenges and reaching out to the arcades. And one of the things I found is on the on one of the Springboard blogs, I think, they had posted these posters. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I wanted to talk about this a little bit is in, in now – you know, these are, I'm assuming, point-of-sale marketing materials that you've made available yeah. to arcade owners. Now, in my experience, it's really hard to get arcade owners or retail operators to do anything. And back in the days at ECAST, we were doing digital jukeboxes. We'd print up, we'd have coasters yeah. that promoted the jukebox, and we would send cases of coasters out to bar owners. Yeah. And then we'd go do site visits and the, the box was never opened. It was just sitting in a closet yeah. somewhere. And all they had to do was like open it and put them yeah. out and we couldn't even get them mm-hmm. to do that. So why did you do this? What was your success rate? What were some of the challenges? What did you learn through this? Because I think we need to figure out how to do more yeah. of this, but it's hard. So fundamentally, when we're looking at the arcade market, like we'll separate and go, right, there's, there's a lot of arcades out there. Some will license us, some don't license us. So we call the ones that license us audience one and the ones that don't license us audience two. From those audience two members, we want to get them into audience one. We want to speak to people and we want to communicate 
we've got a good experience for these reasons, you know, as we've mentioned, it's introductory, etc. But then when they're in the audience one category, we don't just want to forget about them because we're on a per minute rate. We're not on a monthly license fee. So how do we do that? We need to try and work a way to engage with the arcades for the users that come in to want to play it. So the poster serves two functions. It gives us a, a reason to communicate, to speak to arcades. We love arcades that aren't particularly well decorated. So we say, look, here's free artwork for you. Here's our recommended print guidelines. Put it up. Your arcade will look cool. It's branded. You know, we can put your logo on there. We'll put, you know, the Vive or if you springboard synthesis, et cetera, we'll put that logo on there as well. I know some arcade owners that print them out and take them home to hang up at home because they, they think it looks cool. So it facilitates a conversation with them. It lets them understand that we're proactive in the industry and we say this is what works in other arcades, and it does. Put them in the window. It brings people in off the street. You know, movie theaters have always got the images of what's on in there, you know. And then from the user, when the user walks in, they go, I don't know what to try. Um, what's that game there on the poster? And then the operator can have that same conversation that, our team will have had them with them previously. Oh, it's a really cool horror app. It's spooky, but not horrible. Yeah. Have you any way for you to measure like what percentage of the people you sent them out to put them up and, and of the ones that put them up, are you seeing what kind of revenue or usage uplift? Do you have any insights into no, that? But you know, for us, we collect as much data as possible, but it's very much about kind of penetration rate at the moment. You know, it's, it's not easy for us to see if it's, you know, did they implement a poster in week one when we were installed did they implement it in week six? So it's hard for us to know. It's just, we just have to have, to an extent, blanket in initiatives that we feel this is going to give us more sustainability. It's a proactive approach yeah. to us doing it. And I think, you know, that's something that we've always been very proactive. We could sit there and just make some trailers and, you know, try and put it on YouTube or, you know, to engage. I don't even, I don't think that would work. So for us being very direct with it and having these assets, for you know collateral to give to these arcades and say look hang it up you know it looks really cool put your arcade on it and then i just know as a result that can only really lead, you know it won't lead to a decrease in it basically so it's and i love quantifying everything as much data as possible brilliant it's just one area we're not really able to do but it's very much just an initiative that has been a, we've had a great response from the arcades that we speak to yeah cool that's the end of part two of this interview part three is up next 